But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. Attacking the post office. Who else but Donald Trump? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's Great AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and many others, including your favorite podcast site, whatever that may be. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, I got a couple of items that I want to get to very quickly here, Desi Doyen, okay. before I uh, get to my guest, who I'm very excited to talk to. I've got a <laughs> lot of questions for <clears throat> today. With uh, Donald Trump's, yes, attacks on mail-in voting, uh, his attacks on the post office, his new postmaster general's attempts to actually slow the mail down just three months before a never more critical election day when vote by mail will be larger and more crucial than ever due to the COVID crisis. I will have a lot of questions for my guest, Mark Dimenstein, the president of the American Postal Workers Union. He will be joining me momentarily. But very quickly, uh, a couple of uh, noteworthy items for (laughs) sure. Uh, One, I would say, uh, is very good news. An update after yesterday's show. If you haven't heard, late last night, a more sensitive coronavirus test has determined that Ohio Governor Mike DeWine does not have COVID-19 after all, as we had reported on the show yesterday. His office announced late on Thursday, uh, this according to the Columbus Dispatch, a rapid test before DeWine was scheduled to greet Donald Trump in Cleveland on Thursday, determined he was positive for the virus, but a second test administered uh, later in Columbus produced a different result. 
The PCR, or polymerase chain reaction tests for the governor and the first lady and staff were run two times, according to DeWine's office. They came back negative the first time and came back negative when they were run on a second diagnostic platform. They said they feel confident in the results from Ohio State University's Wexner Medical Center and that... DeWine and his wife plan to have another PCR test on Saturday to confirm Thursday evening's results. This test, they say, is known to be extremely sensitive as well as specific for the virus. DeWine tested positive for COVID originally uh, earlier on Thursday as part of the rapid antigen testing protocol required to greet Donald Trump when he arrived in Cleveland for a visit to Ohio. The uh, office said in their statement, we will be working with the manufacturer to have a better understanding of how the discrepancy between the two tests, I guess that's the rapid test that the White House uses and the PCR test could have occurred, uh, DeWine's office said. So apparently good news for the Republican governor of Ohio and his family there, at least we hope. I uh, wanted to mention that since we had talked about uh, the uh, disturbing negative result that he received just before he was set to meet the president of the United States on Thursday. Uh, and in some other good and at least certainly surprising news, uh, Tennessee primary elections were held on Thursday. And at least one of the results seems to have caught pretty much everyone. I mean, everyone by surprise. Despite being outraised, uh, outraised 250 to 1 by her Democratic establishment-backed opponent, wow. progressive environmentalist Marquita Bradshaw scored a stunning upset victory in the Tennessee Democratic primary for an open U.S. Senate seat on Thursday after running on a platform that included Medicare for All and, yes, the Green New Deal. Nice. In Tennessee. James Mackler, one of Bradshaw's four primary com uh, primary competitors, uh, was endorsed by Chuck Schumer's Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Mackler raised more than $2 million over the course of the campaign, according to the uh, FEC filings. Jack Johnson at Common Dreams reports that Bradshaw, by contrast, had the backing of the Memphis Mid-South chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America and raised just... $8,400 hmm. compared to Mackler's $2 million. Mackler, for the record, actually appears to have come in third in the race, according to the currently reported unofficial results that I should underscore have not been examined by any human beings. They've actually just been run through a computer scanner. So whether they're correct or not, we don't know. Uh, but this is what is being reported. Uh, Mackler, uh, who was supported by the DSCC, uh, was bested not only by Bradshaw, but if we can believe the results, was also bested, uh, if barely, by Robin Kimbrough as well. So Mackler appears to have come in third in the race. The current results show Bradshaw with 35.5% of the votes to Kimbra's 26.6 and then Mackler's 23.8.
Bradshaw, whose campaign consisted entirely of volunteers, tweeted following her apparent win, quote, The progressive movement is undeniable. Thank you all so much for your support and this victory. It's time to put hardworking people first. Onward, she wrote. The youth-led climate action Sunrise Movement celebrated Bradshaw's win as a testament to the power of her vision of a Green New Deal that, quote, puts racial justice at its core. She took down the party-backed candidate who raised millions of dollars. The group tweeted, it's 2020 and big things are happening, (laughs) y'all. The uh, Rose Movement uh, tweeted in response to her victory, y'all, Bradshaw 2020, that's her Twitter name, uh, Bradshaw 2020, a progressive who supports Medicare for All and Green New Deal, just won her Senate primary race in Tennessee. Her DSCC-backed opponent had raised $2.1 million. Bradshaw raised $8,400. Don't ever tell us that progressives can't win in the South. Now, uh, that said, uh, Bradshaw has a long fight ahead to November. The seat that she is running for is being vacated by Republican Senator Lamar Alexander. No Democrat has won a Senate election in Tennessee since 1990. There were, in fact, almost twice as many votes cast in the Republican primary versus the Democratic primary on Thursday, according to the reported results, uh, though the Republican race was believed to be much more competitive than uh, what folks thought about the Democratic contest going into it. On the GOP side uh, in November, Bradshaw will face off against Trump's former U.S. ambassador to Japan, Bill Haggerty, who prevailed in a very competitive Republican primary on Thursday. He had the backing of Trump and uh, Senator Mitch McConnell uh, in a close race against another Republican who was backed by senators like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, among others. But Bradshaw said of her campaign, uh, this is a network that has reached across Tennessee. Now it's time to move forward to flip this U.S. Senate seat, and we can do it by working together, she said, by staying true to the principles by listening to voters. Here is an early video uh, released by the Bradshaw campaign before Election Day. As a black woman to live for 46 years here in Memphis, Tennessee, I've seen how race interacts with everything in my life. I put my focus from looking at racism from an environmental justice lens which looks at policy holistically and in how it affects the person interacting with the American system for the pursuit of happiness. The movement of environmental justice has been a successful movement because we've been able to go from a movement to a legal term where we now have language to know how to approach seeking justice And that means that everyone has the right to have healthy and safe communities where they live, learn, work, worship, and recreate. That is Marquita Bradshaw, the surprise, stunning, apparent uh, uh, nominee for the U.S. Senate, Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate in Tennessee. Yes, as you said, long road ahead to November. But, you know, maybe maybe somebody who is an actual progressive will get those votes. I don't have an opponent, Bradshaw said. 
We have issues to solve, and that's how we're going to flip this U.S. Senate seat. Well, well said. Bradshaw grew up in South Memphis, attended the University of Memphis. She's worked with community advocacy groups, environmental groups, and unions, including the Mid-South Peace and Justice Center, the AFL-CIO, the Sierra Club, and Tennesseans for Fair Taxation. She has never held public office. Meanwhile, her Republican opponent, Haggerty, last month resigned from the board of a brokerage firm because the company expressed support for the Black Lives Matter movement. And now he faces a black activist in November. Well, that should be fun. That's poetic. And very quickly, in what should be uh, maybe a good segue to my conversation with the president of the American Postal Workers Union, it looks like the GOP 2020 election dirty tricks are now already underway, at least in North Carolina. Our friend Tom Sullivan, who blogs as Bloggers Are Us at Digby's Hullabaloo and on Twitter, He sent me an email last night after we got off air saying our local Democratic Party has received a couple of reports of random phone calls purporting to be from the Board of Elections, informing voters they, quote, no longer need to request an absentee ballot. Oh, my. A notice has since uh, been put out in uh, North Carolina's Buncombe County uh, saying, please be alert to possible absentee ballot misinformation, possible voter suppression. Two days ago, we got a call from someone saying that they were part of the Board of Elections. They said they were calling all voters in North Carolina to let them know that you no longer need to request absentee voting through the Board of Elections. This is completely false. In order to be able to vote absentee in North Carolina, you have to fill out and send back the forms to the Buncombe County Board of Elections, in that case, in order to receive an absentee ballot. With COVID and everything changing so quickly, it's a good idea to request an absentee ballot. You are not obligated to use it, but you'll have it just in case in November. You don't want to go to the polls. You can even drop it off at the Board of Elections or at early voting and not have to rely on the post office. Consider doing this now so you have voting options come November. Uh, Tom goes on to note that Republicans may be very concerned about the absentee point spread that they are seeing in North Carolina with a much higher request rate uh, for absentee ballots from Democrats than so far, at least from Republicans in the notoriously closely divided battleground state of North Carolina that Obama, you'll recall, barely won in 2008. Mitt Romney barely won it in 2012. And then Trump reportedly won it in 2016 on the very same ballot on which the state also elected their current Democratic governor. So, yeah, North Carolina is going to be important this year, as it is every year. And it looks like the dirty tricks are underway already. Earlier than usual. Maybe so. Be careful out there. Uh, But if you live in a state where you are allowed to vote by absentee, but you have yet to request the ballot by mail or online, well, now, right now... Would be a great time to do that, given the attempts to undermine the U.S. Postal Service itself that is happening right now by this president, the president of the United States, and by the Republicans who support him. 
Much more on that after a quick break when we'll be joined by Postal Worker Union President Mark Dimenstein. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. No, no, please don't wait, Mr. Postman. Please hurry. We need you to keep moving along in uh, in regular order, sir or madam. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The United States Postal Service is a self-funded independent agency of the executive branch that provides jobs to more than 640,000 workers and, unlike their competitors in the private sector, deliver to every address, all 160 million of them in the U.S., six days a week. And they've done so now for more than 200 years. The service is one of the few government agencies explicitly authorized by the U.S. Constitution, tracing its roots to the Second Continental Congress in 1775, when Benjamin Franklin was appointed the first Postmaster General. Their revenue, some 250 years later, comes entirely from postage and services, not from taxpayer dollars. Yet, given the COVID-19 crisis, they have been anticipating a deep loss in revenue this year and have sought emergency funding from the U.S. government, akin uh, to the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been granted to pretty much every other company in America, just not to the Postal Service. To date, the USPS has not been included in any stimulus bill adopted by Congress, though a $10 billion loan was authorized in the CARES Act to be administered by the Treasury Department, which added a number of conditions to that loan. Not a grant, but a loan. Democrats have consistently attempted to include the $25 billion in emergency funding needed for the post office to continue its more crucial-than-ever operations during the pandemic and have been consistently blocked in that attempt by Republicans. The USPS may now be at risk of running out of money altogether in just a few months, leaving millions in the lurch. In addition to delivering greeting cards and utility bills and magazines and everything else that we send in the mail, our mail carriers deliver 4 million prescription medications to households each day. And now, during the pandemic, any number of of, uh, critical packages, as many Americans remain in various forms of lockdown during the coronavirus crisis. Calls to save the post office have been heard from Democrats and progressive groups in recent weeks, such as this ad from MoveOn.org. At a time when a pandemic is keeping us apart, the U.S. Postal Service continues to bring us together. But as the Postal Service raises us up, Donald Trump wants to drag it and us down. The Postal Service is a joke. While mail carriers brave the pandemic, Donald Trump is defying Congress and denying the Postal Service the funds it needs to serve your community. Trump wants to let the Postal Service run out of funds, and seniors will be hardest hit. 
Without the Postal Service, we'll be forced to pay higher prices for everything from prescriptions by mail to sending birthday cards. And many rural communities would be completely cut off, left without a post office. For more than 200 years, the U.S. Postal Service has been there to keep us connected. We can't let Trump take away this lifeline. MoveOn.org political action is responsible for the content of this advertising. So that ad began running in early June, and the issues that it raises on its own would be more than enough reason to uh, for to have my next guest join me in response. But incredibly, with all of that, the Trump administration has been doubling down on its attempts to undermine the USPS, even as the service will now be more critical than ever over the next three months, thanks to the expansion of vote by mail in all 50 states due to the covid crisis. We'll need them more than ever to carry out what is now the most critical election, arguably, in the history of this nation. With the very recent appointment of a Republican Trump mega donor with absolutely no prior Postal Service experience as the new Postmaster General, congressional Democrats wrote to the service uh, this week to decry the recent mandate by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy to, believe it or not, slow down mail service delivery in advance of the 2020 presidential election. In their letter, they write, quote, while it is true that the Postal Service has and continues to face financial challenges, enacting these policies as cost cutting or efficiency measures as the COVID-19 public health emergency continues is counterproductive and unacceptable. That was written by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in a letter this past week to DeJoy. Pelosi and Schumer's letter was released the day after a meeting that they had with DeJoy which Schumer described as, quote, heated. Several other House members, including some Republicans, sent their own letter to DeJoy as well, also calling for the cutbacks in service to be reversed. Since taking over the service in June, DeJoy implemented new measures to cut down on overtime, which in turn are said to have slowed mail service in certain parts of the country. Employees were told to leave mail behind if continuing to process it was going to put them behind on their delivery schedules. That, according to memos sent to workers and obtained by The Washington Post. USPS has not been particularly forthcoming as to the extent of the operational changes or why they are being implemented. Key question now is whether election mail will be exempted from these cutbacks, particularly as vote by mail surges during the pandemic. Lawmakers also noted that medicine and other vital deliveries during the outbreak are now apparently being delayed. In a letter sent to House lawmakers last month, the USPS claimed that the documents outlining the overtime changes were not official policy while acknowledging that UPS, USPS management was taking steps to, quote, enhance operational efficiency and reduce costs, unquote. The House lawmakers complained that the Postal Service still was not being transparent about the changes and had kept Congress in the dark about a separate program to adjust operations in some places. What separate program? And in what places? What's actually going on here? 
Well, since we suspect DeJoy may be too busy seemingly doing Trump's bidding and undermining vote-by-mail right now to join us on this show, we thought we'd go to the folks who do the actual work at USPS. That would be the postal workers themselves to get an idea of what's actually going on as absentee request forms are already going out and ballots themselves will be following in the mail in just over one month at this point. Joining us now is Mark Dimenstein, the president of the American Postal Workers Union, where he has served since 2016 after working for the Postal Service since 1983. The APWU represents more than 200,000 USPS employees and retirees and nearly 2,000 private sector mail workers to boot. Mr. Dimenstein, thank you, sir, for taking time out to join us today on the broadcast. Brad, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I got a lot to ask you about, sir. Let's start with this uh, uh, this uh, letter, uh, these letters back and forth, I guess, between uh, Pelosi and Schumer and uh, DeJoy. Uh, according to that letter to DeJoy, uh, during their meetings with him this week, he, quote, confirmed that contrary to certain prior denials and statements minimizing these changes, the Postal Service recently instituted operational changes shortly after he assumed the position of Postmaster General. Uh, Mark, are you able to definitively clarify any of this? Did these directive memos go out? Have they effectively slowed down mail delivery? And if so, in what parts of the country? I'm wondering if it's all of it or certain, you know, targeted areas, let's say certain swing states and counties where slowing down the delivery of mail-in ballots might help the president's re-election? Well, Brad, look, the, there's no question that the memos went out. They went out in the form of a, what they call a stand-up talk to postal workers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they can say whether it was official or unofficial. As far as what the workers were told, it's official, it's in print. And what those memos said was, and we're completely opposed, postal workers are completely but I just want to underscore before I even get into it, mm -hmm. postal workers are extremely dedicated to the mission mm -hmm. of serving the people of this country. That's underscored by the frontline essential work during this uh, terrible time, the pandemic, where we've connected the people uh, and proudly done so even in very dangerous times. Mm -hmm. So there's no question of the commitment. And this runs counter to our DNA. Our DNA as a postal worker is to serve the customer, leave no mail behind, treat it as if it's our own. And we work under the Postal Reorganization Act, the law which says prompt, reliable, and efficient services. Prompt means quickly. So there's no question that these new directives went out. They took a few different forms. One was uh, a sort of an arbitrary canceling of overtime. Well, that's all well and good, except the workers there, the hours, the, the workers either need to be, more people either need to be hired or those mm -hmm. who are here have to be able to have the, the or the managers who manage them have to be able to have the flexibility to make sure that the work gets done. Uh, we've had tremendous impact of COVID on the workforce. Mm -hmm. We've had 40,000 postal workers quarantined. We've had over 2,500 who have tested positive. So obviously mm -hmm. our leave usage is up. Uh not to mention all the child care challenges with the schools closing. And so that those hours have to be made up somehow. Plus, while mail volume is definitely down, packages have temporarily gone up, and that takes work. Mm -hmm. So to just arbitrarily come in and say there's not going to be these extra hours means that that mail and those packages are simply not going to get delivered, processed and delivered on the day that they should. 
they've also made some changes in, in uh, transportation of mail from the big sortation centers to what we call the carrier units, the, mm-hmm. where, the, where the letter carrier will get their mail ready to take out to your address or your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've said, well, no more extra trips. Well, that sounds good. Maybe it sounds like it's going to save some money. But that extra trip is what your mail might be on because it didn't fit on the first truck or it came in a little bit later. And so these 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 are just policies that they put out there, and they can't do anything but um, slow down mail. And our understanding is it's really happening all over the uh, country, and it needs to be reversed. It needs to be stopped. We've made our voices uh, known loud and clear, as have a number of the elected representatives that you mm-hmm. uh, read from. After you got done with your introduction, Brad, I figured I could just hang up and go. It was excellent. Well, <laughs> well thank you, but <laughs> but I still have a lot to ask you about all of this. Uh, the, uh, uh, one point in particular um you know, he talked. DeJoy is saying, "Well, we're doing this for efficiency. We're doing this to save money." And in fact, uh, the postal service uh, is uh, having trouble right now with money because of the uh, COVID crisis and because of uh, another process that I hope to get to later, where uh, the the postal service has been forced to fund seventy five years worth of pensions, unlike anyone else. But with that said. Uh, if DeJoy, if we take him at uh, face value, he's trying to be more efficient here, trying to save money, would that be a problem then that if, in fact, Congress did allocate the $25 billion or so that the uh, Postal Service has been asking for, if that, if you guys got that money, would that change things? Would he be able to say then, uh, sure, take your time, let's get all the mail out as quickly as possible rather than worrying about overtime costs, etc.? Well, let me say this. It's not called the United States Postal Business, and that's for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's called the United States Postal Service, and that's for a reason. We have a universal uh, service mandate to go to every address, as you said in your intro, 160 million addresses a day. Think mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. Uh, and to do it, no matter who would, would, would that it's universally available, a small d democratic right, no matter who we are, where we live, we get that same equal access, all at a, a reasonable and uniform rate. Uh, Mr. DeJoy comes out of the private sector. He knows, you know, he's just learning, I guess, but he knows little about the inner workings of the postal service. And you just can't say that we're going to take a standard business principle, although we think this, that his policies are actually going to drive away business and mm. um, revenue. This, underneath it all, is a service. So here we are in a COVID world where the economic uh, impact has been tremendous on the world, on our country. we got 45 million people that were suddenly unemployed, and it's had a deep impact on the Postal Service. Uh, mail volumes down almost 30%. Packages have temporarily made up for that, mm-hmm. but it's not going to last. So the Postal Service themselves have projected as best as anyone can that in a moderate economic recovery, and I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks it's going to be a fast or quick economic recovery, that in a moderate path forward, the Postal Service will lose about $50 billion of revenue in the next 10 years. And as you said in your opening, the post office does not run on tax dollars in normal times. It runs off the revenue. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if the revenue is not there, 
then the post office will run out of money. They think now it'll be a little later than this year, sometime early next year. But it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, the people's right to these services certainly uh, uh, comes into jeopardy. So what Mr. DeJoy, the P and the new PMG, the new Postmaster General, mm-hmm. should be doing, we think, is advocating strongly for the $25 billion in relief as a minimum. That request came out of the Postal Board of Governors, a unanimous unanimous request of a majority Republican board. They did the right thing. Mm. He's the new PMG. He needs to go out there and fight for it. And that would take a lot of financial pressure uh, off off this moment Mm -hmm. uh, to help get the post office through this emergency. Well, let's talk about this moment and this uh, emergency, at least when it comes to uh, voting and absentee ballots. I'm speaking with uh, Mark Diamondstein, the president of the American Postal Workers Union. Uh, Mark, your union put out a statement this past week in response to what you count as at least 70 times that the president of the United States has criticized vote by mail, claiming that it leads to massive corruption and fraud, including in his July 30th tweet, his now infamous July 30th tweet, uh, tweet when he charged that uh, mail-in voting in 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history and a great embarrassment to the U.S. before he went on to call for delaying the election until people can properly, securely and safely vote. Uh, Now, he doesn't have the power to delay the election, but presumably he meant uh, until it's safe to vote at the polling places instead of via by mail. Your response to that comment and and others like it, including in that video that I played in which Trump is, you know, charged from his desk at the Oval Office uh, that, quote, the Postal Service is a joke. Well, listen, the. The idea that the Postal Service is a joke is an insult to every dedicated postal worker, 600,000-plus strong. Again, out here in this pandemic, on the front lines, can you imagine how we all feel hearing that? And it's an insult to the customers. Mm-hmm. 91% of the people of this country, in the last Pew Research poll, they, they, they run a poll every year about the, the views of the public in relation to government uh, services. Post office always rates the highest. This year was the highest ever, I think, out of a deeper appreciation for the role of postal workers in this pandemic. And it didn't matter if people were Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Greens, Libertarians. Across the board, there is this uh, goodwill Mm -hmm. and favorable rating and trust. So his idea that the Postal Service is a joke runs counter to the the people of this country that, that, that trust the Postal Service and need the post office. Now, segueing into the question of vote by mail. Vote by mail is nothing new for postal workers. By the way, there is no difference in absentee voting and mail-in ballot voting. Right. They are one in the, they are one in the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've been doing this for generations. Military personnel have been voting by mail since the uh, days of the Civil War. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I saw. I think I saw 160,000 uh, absentee ballots were cast during the uh, during the Civil War. Actually, yeah, right, right. And so here, certainly, if we can, uh, you know, and the idea of, uh, of even floating, you know, what many call a trial balloon, but floating the idea that an election be, should be postponed and it being floated by a sitting president who's up for election 
is very dangerous and very troubling in and of itself, whatever reason it's being given. But here we've had elections through civil war and world wars. Uh, we can certainly have an election during a pandemic. Vote by mail is becoming increasing popular before the pandemic. Five states do it by law. Mm-hmm. Some of those states have had Republican governments, such as such as Utah state governments, mm-hmm. for long periods of time. It's very popular with the people voting. People like the fact that they can take the time at home. They like the fact that there's a paper trail. They like the fact that since Election Day is on a work day, they don't have to try to jockey work schedules with long lines at polling places. Mm-hmm. And, of course, now with the pandemic, it's a question of access to the ballot box at all for tens of millions of people who want to be able to vote safely. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I took note with a friend earlier today. So here the country just laid to rest John Lewis. Yeah. And I'm not talking about necessarily, I didn't necessarily agree with every position he took as a congressperson, but his historic role in this country mm-hmm. and, and courageously done was the question of voting rights for African-Americans in the south of the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was courageous. I mean, he was almost beaten to death. Yep. Voting rights now is right here at the epicenter of what's going on right now. And the post office is right in the middle of this thing, because yep. without, without vote by mail, People aren't going to be able to vote. Yep, I know. I mean, it's as simple as that. Tens of millions of people, from seniors to young people to all, you know, just will not be able to vote during during this pandemic. They don't have good access to vote by mail, and don't have the state step up. And you have to we have to worry about some of these states that don't want people to vote. You know, look, I mean, that's that's the reality. The best way to answer the fraudulent claim, Brad, is mm-hmm. to just look at some simple facts. Oregon as a state has voted by law for 19 years by mail at every level of their government, local, county, city, county, state, and federal. Over 100 million ballots cast in those 19 years, 15 cases of voter fraud. That's less than one per year. So let's be real here. The experience is that there are checks and balances. It's trusted. And as postal workers, our allegiance is not to a particular candidate or particular political party. Our our allegiance of moving that ballot mm-hmm. is a civic duty to all the people of this country. Now, even before the pandemic, Mark, uh, and and the clear need, obviously, to expand vote by mail, uh, Trump had for years attacked the Postal Service. Uh, do you have any explanation? What is your explanation for why he has been doing that? Well, I think, by the way, just so your, your listeners mm-hmm. know this, many of them might. Uh, President Trump himself votes by mail yep. on a routine basis. Yeah, so um, he trusts us to move his ballot, and I'm sure we got it to where that, that where that ballot was going, and his his vote was counted. Yeah, he, vote, he does it. Way, by know, the way, I, Mark. By the way, Mark, he does it unlawfully. He unlawfully registered to vote in Florida, where he does not have a permanent residence. But that's a separate issue. Press on, sir. That's it. That's a separate issue yeah. that postal yeah. workers don't have to deal with. All Not, we have right. to do is, move, is, is get that ballot and move it to where <laughs> right. it's going. Right. The, um, <laughs> the, um, you know, you're asking about motivation, and mm-hmm. I can't read people's minds, but I can say this. There is a longstanding uh, thrust and effort of privatizing of public services, breaking up public services, turning them over to the private sector for a profit, Uh the Trump administration early on, well, I shouldn't say early on, but June 2018, uh, actually published a, a, a paper, a written proposal, mm-hmm. 
Uh, so you're not hearing this from Mark Demonstein of the American Postal Workers Union. This is their plan, and they say that, that they plan to privatize the Postal Service. Uh, they see that as a, an opportunity for private business and private profit, and that's the path that they want to go on. So their motivation, I think, with everything that's going on. Some people say, well, this is because President Donald Trump doesn't like billionaire Jeff Bezos of Amazon. I think that's all a smokescreen. I think what's really going on is that they, they, they believe, they meaning Wall Street, the privatizers, the private corporations that would greatly benefit from this mm-hmm. at the expense of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 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 they think their stars are politically aligned where they may be able to get this done. Mm. They're going to have to come through 91% of the people of the country yeah. that have uh, have a favorable view of their public postal services and look at the postal service as something that's important to uh, their lives and their communities. But I think the underlying mo- uh, motivation is how to take... The post office takes in over $70 billion a year in postage and, and fees around postal services. That's a lot of money mm-hmm. that belongs to all of us. We call it the public till, the public cash register. If anybody can get their hands on it and turn it over to make a private profit, they, they're going to try to do it. Yeah, and, and if that were to happen, yeah. if that were to happen, our services would might disappear. If we have them, it'll be based on whether somebody can make a quick buck rather than a right and a service that belongs to all of us. Yeah, and when and since when has ninety one percent of the American public disagreeing with this administration kept them from trying to do anything? Uh, Mark, uh, w- the big question, I guess, right now is: Will, in fact, will the Postal Service, with all of these challenges, shortfalls in funding, uh, directives to slow down delivery, uh, the difficulty, of course, uh, you know, dealing with the, the the COVID crisis itself, will the Postal Service be able to handle the crush? And it will be a crush of absentee ballot request forms going both uh, g- both ways to the voter and, and back, and, and then the absentee ballots themselves, again, both ways to the voter and back to the county headquarters. Uh, will they be able to deliver it fast enough, particularly in states where ballots must not be uh, only postmarked by Election Day, but actually must arrive there by then? So one is a question of capacity, and the other is a question of speed. The post office handles about 500 million, almost 500 million pieces of mail and packages a day. Uh, we do national mailings in a heartbeat. The census mailing was a national mailing. Mm-hmm. There was a card from CDC during the pandemic about advice in terms of staying healthy, uh, hand washing, uh, sanitizers, and, and, and so on. They went to every, not only every household, but every person in that household. Uh, the idea of having ballots that are going to be placed all over the country, it's not like one central point, and placed at different times and being able to get into the system and be processed and handled, that's what we say for us as postal workers is an absolute piece of, uh, piece of cake. Now, what you raise on top of that is if these policies stay in effect that are going to slow down the mail some, mm-hmm. what kind of problems do those present? Uh I think that it's going to, if those policies stay, and they shouldn't, and we hope they don't, um, the, the states run elections, and the states are going to have to be cognizant to make sure they maybe get those ballots in the mail a couple days ahead of where they would have. And when people get the ballots, they, they uh, don't wait till the day before Election Day to uh, vote. Uh, so, so, some states, it's a postmark, and then they can arrive later. 
many many states it has to be in there in the election uh, uh, commission mm-hmm. by election day it, it's itself. So I have great confidence in the vote by mail system in terms of uh, its integrity, mm-hmm. its safety. I have great confidence in the ability of postal workers to uh, move the mail. We certainly have the capacity throughout the whole country. It's not nearly as big of uh, another 10 million here or 5 million there is uh, easy for the post office to handle. I have more concerns that anything that slows down the mail affects everything we, we do. And the states and the voters uh, uh, may have to adapt. And even without any policies that slow down the mail, the states have to get uh, these these uh, mail ballots in, into people's hands with enough lead time. The, uh, so, well, you the, know, that, that's certainly a challenge out there for them. The uh, the new Postmaster General DeJoy was at a, a meeting on Friday of the USPS Board of Governors. He denied mm-hmm. that he was taking action uh, with all of this on Trump's behest. Uh, but he did say that we can't correct the errors of the elections boards if they fail to deploy processes that take our normal processing and delivering standards into account, etc. So uh, can you help me decode that, Mark? Uh, if you were you, how late would you wait to mail your uh, mail back your absentee ballot before Election Day uh, before deciding that maybe it's smarter to deliver it in person to a precinct or a drop box or or right. county headquarters? Well, you know, that's, you know, you're asking me to guess. So election day is on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would certainly vote the week before that Tuesday. I'd say, you know, to be safe, I want my ballot to be counted. Uh, even before these changes, I'll be voting by Tuesday or Wednesday the week before. Mm-hmm. And that way I can feel very secure, uh, that even in the states where there's no postmark, but it has to be there, mm-hmm. then it's there. Now for people that, Maybe didn't see their ballot, or maybe the state didn't, or the 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 uh, the, the entity didn't get it there quickly enough. Uh, you you raised an interesting option. You vote by mail includes having it mailed to your home, mm-hmm. but in most cases, being able to fill it out. And if you don't want to mail it back, you can drop it back. That avoids the lines. It avoids the safety issues. Uh, you don't have to worry about masks and social distancing. You can drop it off at a precinct, and then that vote is right there. So if I was in a little bit of a crunch, if I had been away or if I didn't notice it was there, if I didn't get it as soon as it should have been gotten there by the state, then I'll fill it out and I'll drop it off and I'll make sure my vote counted. So either way, I think it's a win. I would urge people to uh, check with their local jurisdictions, their local counties, because the, all the rules are a little bit different. In California, for That's example, right. you can deliver your uh, ballot to any uh, uh, precinct, but uh, that is not the case in all states and in all counties. But check that out. There are right. usually hand uh, options that you can uh, drop it off. Uh, Mark, you mentioned one point there that I've been wondering about now for a long time. This came up as an issue in California a few years ago when they said that as long as a, a ballot arrives within three days after the election, it would be counted. Um, and now I think that's been extended uh, to 17 days. But when it came up at the time, they noted that as long as it arrives within three days, it doesn't even need to be postmarked because apparently some places don't, uh, some postal services, I guess, uh, post offices don't include postmarks on the mail. I thought all pieces of mail were postmarked. Am I wrong about that? Well, you know, it's, not all mail is postmarked anymore, but ballots 
are supposed to be postmarked, and that's a question of the Postal Service making sure the uh, the uh, right training is out there so all the postal workers know what to do. But business reply mail, and, and in other words, if the postage is prepaid mm-hmm. by the state, that normally does not get postmarked. And so on the one hand, mm-hmm. uh, we certainly want to see it. I think it's better for the people of the country and our democratic rights if they don't have to put a stamp on that ballot coming back and it's paid for by the state. Uh, on the other hand, it, 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 there has to be processes that the post office should put into place. Mm. Uh, and I don't know any more than that today. Yeah. That even that postage reply or that the uh, 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 letter that comes back with postage prepaid, mm-hmm. that that will also be postmarked. So there's no question that that, was, that, that vote was cast. Yeah, uh, by 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 election day. Yeah, I'm worried so about uh, challenges that may come from that. And I'm also seeing uh, news today, Mark, and I don't even know this is brand new. So I don't even know if you've, uh, you're aware of this yet or not. But American Prospect is reporting that the Postal Service is informing states they'll need to pay first class 55 cent postage to uh, mail ballots to voters rather than the normal 20 cent bulk rate. That nearly triples the per ballot cost at a time when uh, tens of millions of more uh, uh, ballots obviously will be delivered. Do you know anything about that? Can you confirm that either way? And is that a a concern at this point? Well, look, I'm a firm believer, this is just one person's view, that it's always wisest to vote by first-class mail, because uh, bulk business mail, advertising mail, whatever people want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, in the best of times, never moved with the same speed that first-class mail moved with or had the same priority. So that may be advice from the post office. I don't know that they can make it a rule. I think people have a right to mail however they wish to. I happen to think that advice is good advice. Uh, and uh, And again, First-class mail always moves more rapidly through the system and obviously always has priority over bulk mail that uh, even in normal times might wait a day or two while the first-class mail is being processed. Um, so uh, not, not not bad advice. I can't weigh in on the cost factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt they're saying it has to be done that way. Well, I think no, it I sounds think like they are because these are, uh, s- uh, you know, the states, the counties, they create their own envelopes uh, for this and they inform the voters of, you know, whether it's paid for, uh, as I believe we do out here in California, or whether they're going to have to come up with a stamp themselves. So that's why it's. Mm-hmm. Still another question, and still appears at least to potentially be uh, another blockade that is being thrown in the way. Uh, Mark Dimenstein, I've, I've, I'm already running late here. I didn't get to a number okay. of things I want to talk to you about. I hope you don't mind if we call you in the future because I want to, you know, talk about this, you know, having to forcing the post office to prepay uh, 75 years worth of. Uh, uh, of of uh, of their pensions and some other issues like that. I hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the in the future not, as all of this moves forward. Not at all, Brad. This this is near and dear to our heart. We're passionate about the public post office. We call it a national treasure for a good reason. Anytime you want me back, just uh, give us a call. You are great. Thank you, sir. Thank you and all of your workers uh, at this time. We need you now more than ever. Mark Dimenstein is the president of the American Postal Workers Union. You can find them at APWU.org or on the Twitters at APWU 
National. I suspect they can uh, use your support uh, any way you can uh, find it. Thank you, Mark. That's right. Thank you, Brad. Take care. Okay, quick break, and we're back with our closing few minutes here. Hey, Desi Doyen. What do you say we have a song? Oh, I always like a song. I could use one this week. All right, that's straight after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks once again to American Postal Worker Unions, uh, Mark Dimenstein. He was fantastic. Oh, yeah, uh, indeed. quite a character. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Des, you and I were talking off air the other night about, uh, about this, the, the fact that Donald Trump, the president of the United States, is actually attacking, going after the post office itself and elections themselves and the census itself the u.s census i mean three of the most central core issues at the center of our very democracy yeah and in the constitution no less they're all cited yeah by the constitution itself i mean it's something that is just unthinkable frankly prior to this administration unthinkable that we'd be actually Looking at an, at an administration like this, and uh, frankly, even for Republicans of good faith, if there are still any out there, I would think it's more than enough reason, that alone, to vote this guy out of office. Uh, but because it's just... It's incredible. It really is. Now, a few months ago, I believe we played a, a great parody song by the delightful satirist uh, Roy Zimmerman. Uh, well, he has now updated that song. He's got an updated version of that same song, which was great. And now it's even greater with some new updated lyrics and a new video for it, actually featuring Jeff Siegel of The Tokens, uh, which is the group behind the original non-parody 1961 hit The Lion Sleeps Tonight well we will link to that new video when we post today's show it is at uh, bradblog.com tonight but here is the updated version from Roy Zimmerman of Vote Him Away to play us out today In the bunker, the White House bunker, the liar tweets tonight. The death toll rises and multiplies as the liar tweets tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 
See that video, of course, at RoyZimmerman.com and many other of his great songs. Uh, thanks, Roy. Love it. And good luck getting that out of your head over the next few days. <laughs> Got to get out. My thanks again to Mark Dimenstein of the American Postal Workers Union, to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you who help us remain on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me as simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey, hey, hey.